This is Included, the podcast. Conversations toward a greater understanding of the inclusive love of Jesus. Unpacking the mystery and wonder of the Word of God for those seeking an affirming, equitable Salvation Army for others. Thanks for joining. We invite you to take a posture of listening and exploring as we seek together the good news for the whosoever. Welcome to Included, the podcast. My name is Chris Halliday. I'm a Salvation Army officer uh, currently in Melbourne, Australia. I'm a queer man and part of the Included team, a group of people connected to the Salvation Army around the world, working at providing a platform and a space to raise the voices of those who are working for or care about a more affirming, safe, equitable Salvation Army. We have got an incredible conversation for you today. There is a church called the Church of the Nazarene, which many of you may have heard of. We're kind of denominational siblings. They also stem from the Methodist tradition. And two incredible people, a father and daughter, uh, Thomas Ord and Alexa Ord, have put together a book which I would highly recommend to everybody. Why the Church of the Nazarene should be fully LGBTQ plus affirming. There is, it's a meaty book, it's uh, nearly 500 pages, a mixture of uh, lived experience, testimonials from people who are queer, also allies and their views, and then the final chapter is scholarly articles drawing particularly on the Wesleyan tradition to paint a picture of why the Nazarene Church in particular, but of course we can lend from that to the Salvation Army because it's so similar, why they should be fully LGBTQ plus affirming. Today I'm joined in this interview by a good friend, a fellow Salvation Army officer and an incredible ally and advocate for those who are gender or sexuality diverse in the Salvation Army, uh, Major Phil Inglis. Hey. G'day, Chris. How are you going, mate? I am super and I'm pumped for this conversation. Uh, for those too. for those who don't yeah. know you, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, so my name is Phil. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Rebecca, and uh, we have three children. And I currently serve in territorial headquarters in Melbourne uh, in faith communities development. You've had some great roles. Your wife, Rebecca, here is an area officer here in Melbourne. So sort of sits between the core level and the divisional commander level. Uh, You could very well sit comfortably, mind your own business, keep developing churches and faith communities. But you are, as not instead of, as well as, really sticking your head out and a a, a pretty strong advocate. You are known as someone who is a safe person here in in Australia and Melbourne particularly, uh, heavily involved in the Salvos for More Inclusive Church uh, Facebook group and also helping us a lot with uh, tech support uh, at the Included team. Why, Phil? What's driving you? Why aren't you just uh, sitting back and happily pastoring big churches and guiding others along the way? Why is this an issue for you that you've thrown yourself so wholly into? Um, before coming to Melbourne, um, I didn't have any close friends or family members uh, who were queer or anything like that. But my study of scripture and my study of theology um, led me, drove me, compelled me to an understanding of being fully inclusive. And then when I did come down here and I met people like yourself uh, and like others in the queer community, and I began to experience the extent of discrimination and trauma and hurt and pain. And these things just drove me to a point where I said, this is, this can't continue. It can't be, it can't, we, we can't do what I, it just can't. I was flabbergasted. Yes. Yep. And, and I still am when I think about it and, and the love of Christ compels me to do, to speak, to act, to support, to do what I can. And that's why I do what I can. The book is called Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. It's by Thomas J. Ord and Alexa Ord. You can grab it online. I got my copy uh, from Amazon. I also got the copy that uh, Phil took and uh, covered in notes from Amazon. Uh, it's by <laughs> Uh, Sacrosage Press, if you're looking. But now, enough talk. Let's get into this conversation on Included the Podcast with Thomas J. Ord and Alexa Ord. 
Thomas and Alexa Ord, so good to meet you. Thanks for joining us and connecting for the podcast. How are you both doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing so great. Happy to be here. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for your incredible piece of work. It's uh, it's a meaty read. Uh, Phil, admittedly, has worked through the entire book. I'm still plugging oh. away. I keep getting distracted and <laughs> not distracted, but but caught up in 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 what's in there and and stopping to pause and reflect. Um, an incredible body of work. I can't imagine the time you've put in. We'll talk about uh, everything that's in it and the, the process and a whole stack of questions that we've got. But to start us off. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself to the listeners. Alexa, would you like to start? Sure. Um, I am Alexa Ord. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I studied philosophy and then have a master's in gender studies. Um, so that's sort of my approach to the project. And I currently live in New York. And outside of this um, work in publishing, I work in student affairs at Columbia. And I'm Thomas J. Ord, but just call me Tom. I'm a theologian. I've taught theology for, uh, should have thought of that, 25 years. I currently direct a doctoral program in open and relational theology at Northwind Theological Seminary. And I'm coming to you from Idaho, where Alexa was raised. She's my daughter. Fantastic. Um, well, it's great to connect with you uh, there, Phil and I both in Melbourne. Uh, you're from the Church of the Nazarene, uh, and that obviously leads the, the entire concept of the book, why the Church of the Nazarene should be fully LGBTQ plus affirming. For those people who may not have such a context of the Church of the Nazarene, would you, we, would you like to share some of uh, the, the background, the history, the mission, the theology of the Church? Yeah, probably the short way to say describe a Nazarene is we have a Methodist theology stemming from John Wesley, but we're pretty conservative on social issues. So more conservative than, let's say, the United Methodist Church here in America or around the world, generally speaking. Um, we sort of our distinctive emphasis over uh, the hundred plus hundred and fifteen years of our existence has been sanctification or holiness, and uh, that's been understood in a lot of different ways, but um, that's kind of been our focus. And I'm sitting reading the book going, this is, aside from words, you use words like uh, the manual, and um, yeah, <laughs> you, I think you talk about district superintendents and different structures, yeah. and I'm like, ah, that's just this, and that's just this within the, <laughs> you know, a district superintendent is a divisional commander. Uh, yep. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? So um, super similar. So I'm relating so hard to all these stories. It's um, absolutely fantastic. We, as we look at similarities in, in the Salvation Army um, around the world, particularly in Australia and Europe, actually predominantly Australia and Europe in the UK, we're starting to see uh, a little bit more space created for, for people, officers we call ministers who are gender or sexuality diverse themselves. Uh, are you seeing much of that in, in the Church of the Nazarene? Is there, are there many known ordained ministers or leaders in, in the church who are gender or sexuality diverse? Not really. I mean, uh, we have identified a couple, but they're not public, at least not public to the general church. So um, yes, I mean, I'll have to say yes, there are some, but it's not recognized um technically you could be uh, you know lgbtq plus and be a, an ordained elder in the denomination so long as you weren't quote practicing mm -hmm. uh, certain sexual behaviors but in reality uh, i think the stigma is still so great that uh, there are very few people who uh, would identify as queer who are also ordained elders in good standing. Yeah. Can I ask, just as you're talking, so we're we obviously an audio podcast, but we're chatting on Zoom so we can see oh, you. Sorry. As, as Thomas, <laughs> no, as, it's great. But as, as Tom, you're answering there, I see Alexa nodding and shaking your head and almost, you know, fist pumping, it feels. Uh, I guess you've got a slightly different perspective, just, a, a you know, the, the next generation down and probably have a different group of peers. So what have you seen in, in the church in terms of people who may have felt called to, to ministry in the Nazarenes who, who were um, LGBTIQ+. 
I mean, unfortunately, I don't have some secret, you know, rising queer young people <laughs> movement. I also, for context, have left the church for many years now. I'm not spiritual. So maybe there is that I just am not in touch with. One thing that has been um, fairly encouraging is I, I think a lot of young people in the Church of the Nazarene are LGBTQ plus affirming. Um, the recently, um, a uh, one of Tom's uh, good friends was uh, was uh, fired from a Nazarene institution for even just uh, supporting another professor who was LGBTQ plus affirming. And the students really came out in droves to support this system. Yes, the the staff member didn't even make a statement that was affirming. They just uh, supported a professor who was affirming. It was very, it was so removed. Um, but the, yeah, the students really came out and protested against this. And so it was encouraging, even though I can't think of a single like uh, queer Nazarene, even queer Nazarene uh, member who was still part of, part of the church besides the people in these books, but ordained, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think also I should add, uh, you know, in, in America here, there's a, a, a very famous pollster called Pew Polls, P-E-W, yeah. and they do uh, a lot of surveys on church-related issues. In 2007 and 2014, the Church of the Nazarene and the holiness tradition in general ranked dead last among not only all Christian denominations, but all religions at retaining their youth. The only group that does worse than the holiness group in America at retaining their young people are the atheists. <laughs> so, um, so Alexa is a part of a, I mean, I'm not, not saying she consciously decided to walk away because she was joining a group that was walking away, but she's a part of a group of people who are leaving the church and many of them, it's over queer issues. So um, are there any that you know of congregations or, or you know, faith communities within the Church of the Nazarene that are LGBTQI affirming? Is it possible in your movement that a local pastor could be affirming and and accepting and welcoming of LGBTQ people within into a church and have that safe space? Yeah, there are a few. Yeah. Uh, I happen to attend one. It's a very small <clears throat> church, and um, but people in the town know that we're affirming. The district superintendent knows that. Um, my own situation has made that a little bit fraught because of the trial that I recently went through. But there are a few other pastors who are known for being affirming and their congregations being a safe place. I don't know that in those scenarios, there are queer people in positions of leadership like church board or something like that, Sunday school teacher. I suspect there are, but I just don't know personally. Um, but there are very, very few in the Church of the Nazarene who are known as being affirming. Now, even my own congregation, I say my congregation, I'm not the pastor. I am officially an associate pastor, unpaid. But even in our scenario, we're not really supposed to trumpet the fact that we're an affirming congregation. Yeah, wow. Makes it hard, doesn't it? But let's um, step back. What, what made you think of writing this book? And uh, in my brain, I assumed, Alexa, this was your idea, but is that is that right? No, no, Tom definitely approached me. Um, but I wonder if Tom, you might give some of the setup context and then I'll I'll finish off with sort of the origin of the book itself. Yeah, you know, I've long thought that I would write a book, something like this, probably not this title, but something like an apologetic for why Christians in general and those in the holiness movement should be fully LGBTQ plus for me. And I've always kind of thought it was going to be a monograph and I would lay out all my reasons and sort of make the case. And, um, but it, I never, I mean, I've written papers, but I never really got around to writing it. It's always was on the back shelf. And then in, uh, let me see if I got to get my, my years correct here in the fall of 2001, 
um, I was officially brought up on charges for being affirming by a group outside my region and we had not to go through 2021, not 2001. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, in 2021, I was brought up on charges uh, for being an affirming person as an ordained elder by a group of people outside of the region where I'm at. And the district superintendent asked me if I wanted to go through with a trial or wanted to just walk away from the group or the denomination, give up my ordination credentials. And after talking with my wife, I decided I would go ahead and fight it. And that meant preparing a document to make my case, going through a trial. Um, I made it through that trial without being having my credentials taken away but the district superintendent did take away my official assignment and then later decided I couldn't also preach in the church where I'm at. And in that process, so this was, that process was in early part of 2022. Um, and by the fall of 2022, it became clear to me that the district and the denomination was going to try to keep me silent in one way or another. And that's when I approached Alexa. And I realized that a book of, of essays of lots of contributors could be a lot more powerful because there's just more power in numbers. There's also more safety in numbers. Um, and so then that's when I approached Alexa. Yeah, Tom approached me with this idea sometime in the fall. Um, and we had been working together on some other publishing projects for a few years. We, I had officially joined his publishing company, Sacrosage, and it was a really you know great sort of father-daughter um, activity together, scholarly activity. Um, and this was kind of just the perfect melding of our two worlds. You know, even though I have left the church, I studied philosophy and grew up sort of talking philosophy of religion with my dad. And then now I had a degree in gender studies. And so it was a, a really great sort of the perfect collaborative project between the two of us. Um, and another sort of driving force behind it was that we had heard um, various sort of like district level district superintendents say that they got a lot of calls and letters from people who were very upset um, for, uh, you know, spouting homophobic stances, basically, um, and really negative energy. And, but they never really heard from the people who were affirming. Um, but, you know, the, there was, we knew a lot of people in our community who were affirming and we thought, okay, we can really re reach out to these people and come together as a collective voice, you know, have like a mass of, of stories together to say, no, we really are here. And here's, here's how we, um, where we want to make a stand. Yep. That's interesting because there's another similarity. I think we have similar in, in the Salvation Army in, globally in that the louder voices are generally those who are um, pushing really hard to continue current processes and practices and exclusion. Um, those who are more affirming uh, in their views either uh, uh, don't feel led to articulate that or um, or they're doing it in a more respectful way. Perhaps they're doing it, you know, by, by writing papers or having conversations at that, you know, district, as you would call it, level, rather than sort of going on on big, loud rampages. And actually that's where a lot of the work of the Included team has sprung from, is to try to provide a platform for people to access resources and have conversations to respectfully engage in dialogue and, and show that there are actually people having this conversation. There are other people who think this way. There are people doing really good work. And that's what I love about the book uh, is that you, you're showing this great breadth of uh, voice uh, from a whole different range of perspectives uh, to show that actually yeah. it, it is valid to have this conversation. It is okay to have this conversation. And there are really good think thinkers and heartfelt followers of Christ uh, having this conversation. As you looked at the papers coming through as you were starting to compile it were you surprised by any of the pieces or, or was there an overarching narrative really early on in the piece that 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 you you were aware of i'm interested in what your reflections were as the piece the, the book started to take shape um, my role was primarily as the recruiter and acquisitions person um, i have a fairly significant platform um, i'm known in the church of nazarene as taking progressive 
stances on things. And I think I, I, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I think I am, have a reputation for being trustworthy. Uh, and so people knew they could take a risk with me. But we still had lots and lots of people who didn't feel safe to write for this book because they feared they'd lose their job or, you know, some of them was, who, especially queer people, didn't want to face additional trauma. So mm -hmm. I did a lot of recruiting. And then once people said yes, we would ask them, okay, who else do you know? And so we had people contribute essays that we'd never met before because of those additional contacts. And then it was really Alexa who did the nitty gritty of the editing, especially the work of you know, looking at language qu questions, that's her forte, not mine. So she can, you know, know when's the appropriate time to use one word or another. Um, so she gets the, the, the lion's share of the credit for actually doing the hard editing work in this. I was in tears um, reading those stories as they came, uh, not as they came in, as they came to my eyes. Um, I, how did you feel, Alexa, reading some of the raw uh, responses as they started to come in. Yeah, it was it was quite an experience, um, and that was actually something that I really valued in how we approached the book is making sure that there was a real range of experiences and, and of perspectives. And from early on, when Tom and I were meeting about you know how to set up this book, I said I want to make sure we leave room for anger, for sadness, for sort of a sense of. Uh, fed up, you know, that we can't go anywhere from here, that not every story needs to be hopeful or to feel like that there is a solution. Some people are allowed to give up um, and that you're that's definitely present, you know, um, and it it was a real reconnection back to the church that I grew up in, even though, you know, I haven't been a part of that community in such a long time. It was still really wonderful in a way to see a community of other queer people, you know, sticking around and and reading their trauma was a real, you know, bonding experience for me. Yeah. And we really had no idea how many people would write for this who are queer. In fact, we mm -hmm. didn't have our three categories, queer, voices, allies, and what was the last one? Scholars and Scholars, leaders or something yeah. like that. Yeah. We really didn't have those categories going into it. And they just kind of emerged as we were trying to think how we wanted to organize the book. Of the stories published, it, it was hard to tell, but of the stories published, how many of the queer authors are still in the Church of the Nazarene? How many of the allies are still in? I mean, I did a quick go through but it was a really hard thing to try and figure out most of the most of them were clear in the queer space that was easy to see that most of them had left the church of the nazarene um how many of the allies and, and the scholars that are still there how many of them are i think the phrase is nasbeans um <laughs> is, i love I'm a, i love the words um do you know had have you done a bit of a thought about how many are still in how many are out what this says for the movement I don't know the exact numbers, but I do suspect that the book overrepresents queer people and allies who have stayed, um, in part because many of the responses of folks who we asked who then declined said in particular because it was too hard for them to go back to that. You know, there's a real association of trauma of them leaving the church. Um, so I would guess that that there's a, a higher percentage of folks who have stayed who wrote for the book than folks who have left. Yep. Can I drill down on that for a second, Alexa? There's an interesting um, awareness comes as you as you flick through the different sections of the book, and we find that the majority of the queer authors are women. In fact, I think it's around 85%, um, whereas the allies, it's sort of 50-50, but when we come to the scholars, it's over uh, overwhelmingly male. Was, do you think there was anything behind that, that sort of skewing of the different perspectives? Definitely. Well, first off, you know, we have to acknowledge that the majority of scholars are, you know, likely tenured faculty positions or other other type of uh, positions that require some degree of privilege to get there, you know. Yeah. Um, so in general, the vast majority of quote unquote scholars in most uh, traditions like ours are white men. Um, and then the other sort of thing to keep that we were sort we kept in mind as we sorted them 
is many of our women are non-binary scholars who are also queer, we chose to put into the queer category um, rather than the scholarly category. Um, those were pretty loose buckets anyway. We didn't go in with those sort of three buckets. And um, we wanted to really, you know, the queer voices section is first. We wanted to highlight that queer voices are our priority in this book. And so we categorize them in that section. But, you know, it does sadden me the, that there's mo not as many of, of um, women and queer folks and non-binary people in the scholarly category. And I hope in the future we'll get more. Volume two. Yes. <laughs> I think for me, the the interesting thing was the, the the number of queer people, the number of queer women in there and the lack of gay men um, mm -hmm. or queer men in general that responded for the book. I, that was uh, something I just thought was interesting and curious. Yeah, that is, I hadn't thought of that. We were very strategic with this book. We were strategic because we wanted to make an impact on the denomination and we have some experience in working with edited books and working with people to make that kind of impact. And one of the best things we did is we put all these essays on a website or we are putting them on a website and they're being um, reeled out slowly over time to be published on social media platforms to generate discussion. And Facebook is the primary place, but other platforms as well. In that effort, there is some extremely strong pushback in some forms. But one of the things we didn't anticipate that's been really beautiful is that we have a private Facebook group for contributors and friends of contributors that's been a really powerful source of encouragement for queer people and allies. Um, and again, we didn't anticipate that. That wasn't a part of our strategy to begin with, but it emerged because we wanted to have an impact and we wanted to have these essays to stand on their own to be spread, you know, via social media. And one thing there also in this pivot to sort of the fallout that also has been such a wonderful sort of fruit of that Facebook group is some of our contributors have experienced real consequences from their participation in this book. And amazingly, some contributors, you know, have found out that their pastors are also affirming it has been a really positive outcome, but others, you know, their jobs are being threatened or uh, being revoked. And so having this community to lean on of other folks going through that same thing has been really, really wonderful. Was there any consideration given with that in mind? And, and, you know, I'm sure you're both aware that there would be some serious repercussions for people putting their name to this, but particularly uh, those who are queer and the queer women, especially who, who were out at the forefront uh, on this. And, you know, perhaps no great surprise is always the queer women, you know, lead, leading the way on this and always out the front of this fight. Um, was there any consideration given Alexa to, um, you know, allowing the writers to contribute anonymously uh, or was it important that the, the authors uh, claim their identity in the process? Absolutely, yes. We, um, another sort of secondary motivation of this book was, as we talked about, to sort of, um, you know, make, a, make public all the voices that were sort of talking behind the scenes, but also to push um, folks who were quietly affirming to take a more public stance, you know, as Tom was sort of going down swinging on yeah. this LGBTQ plus affirming stance, you know, he knew that he had lots of friends and colleagues who were also affirming, but didn't want to make it public. Um, and so going into it, we really we wanted to be bold with the book title. You know, it says right on the cover, you're not hiding. This isn't wishy-washy. Yeah. We are affirming. Um, and, and part of that came with really pushing for folks to, um, to sort of sign their name, to not um, publish anonymously. And with the exception that, especially if queer folks decided that they wanted to be published anonymously for their own safety or mental well-being, that was allowed. Um, and then we ended up with, I think, three or four uh, pseudonyms throughout the book that for various reasons, but we were pretty selective on who we would allow um, to publish anonymously. And then also on that same point about sort of queer women at the forefront um, and sort of taking a risk, something that has also been so wonderful 
big shout out and thank you to one of our contributors, Kara Hudson, who is a queer woman. She's a therapist and she um, was part of a group of authors who really helped us um, sort of build out the social media campaign and all the other external supports. And she offered a list of mental health resources and resources for more understanding in the back of the book and has um, organized a network of therapy for contributors um, within that Facebook group, which has been really, really important. She's also been instrumental in translating the book into Spanish. Another of our contributors, Forrest Fisk, has not only been managing some of the social media stuff, but is doing audio readings of each chapter as they come out, actually video and audio. Um, so those there's other people who've stepped forward, other people who've gone through trials. A guy named Randy Hartman also went through a trial similar to mine. Yeah, he's, he's in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to say emphasize the title because uh you know we could have called this book hey let's love queer people or something like that and who would have disagreed with that just the far right extremists would have disagreed right everybody loves at least if you're a christian you're supposed to love queer people but we wanted a title that boldly says we're affirming and we even put the word fully affirming in there so, you know, to really push now, people have pushed back on that. Well, what's fully affirming? Does that mean, you know, you, you're into sex anywhere, anytime, anything, you know, so we have to explain that. But um, we wanted to take we wanted to err on the side of boldness rather than sort of mushy, wishy washy kind of a thing. It's really interesting you say that. Just a quick side note before I feel I can see Phil's jumping out with 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 another question, but um, it seems a similar context there in in the in in your part of the world that I also picked up in Europe, which is there's a real reluctance to get on board anything that's sort of pride related or in, includes the rainbow flag, because in that part of the world particularly, and I haven't seen it so much here in Australia, but there's a sense by Christians that to uh, embrace, you know, the, the pride flag, the rainbow flag means that you're all of a sudden endorsing uh, things that you see at a Mardi Gras or a pride parade, whether that be, you know, costumes or leather or whatever, whips or whatever it is. I keep hearing this. Does this mean I have to all of a sudden support, you know, whips on the streets of, of the city? Um, I, I can't help but feel that that's such a, um, a, a punching at shadows type argument. It's a distraction. Oh yeah, it's it's it, it's in all kinds of social media forums. People say, "Oh, so you're affirming? Oh, the next thing you're going to be in favor of is sex with animals." It's this slippery slope argument. You give them an inch, it's going to go a mile, you know. And I like to remind people that those same kind of slippery slope arguments were made when we were talking about the women's right to vote or civil rights for people of color. You know, it's the same stupid arguments that if you give an inch, it's going to go as a slippery slope into extreme relativism. And we actually very particularly did not define what we meant by affirming. And Tom and I had a couple of conversations about this in part because, you know, even he and I disagree exactly on, you know, where to quote unquote draw the line, but we don't want to draw a line. Instead, we want to have a real big 10 approach. And even while editing these essays, you know, a lot, many of those essays are not as sort of uh, affirming as I would like them to be, but they're an important part of this group. And we want to, to bring everybody again under one tent, but because it also provides entry points to other folks who maybe, you know, they're, they're just sort of warming up to the idea of being affirming. And then this person, their story is actually really compelling to them. Yeah. I noticed that the stories do have a, um, quite a variety of positions in terms of mm -hmm. what they consider to be affirmable and affirmable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tom, is your trial over or are you up for a new trial? Are you supporting um, Mark Maddox and, and so on? Is that getting you in trouble? Like, where is the fallout for you in all of this at the moment? Yeah, for me personally, I went through a trial at the district level and uh, I made my case to what they call a disciplinary committee. And that committee makes a recommendation to another committee. And then you have to have two signatories and it's a whole process and they never had two signatories. So the case was technically dropped for lack of, uh, for lack of signatories to take it forward. Even though I was very clear that I thought the church of Nazarene should change and that I'm fully affirming. 
Mark Maddox's case is very different. I'm just a supporter of him in that situation. In his case, uh, he had an adjunct faculty member who was very vocal about being affirming and he stuck up for her against the wishes of the uh, academic dean and that's how he lost his job. So I'm a very big supporter of Mark. I affirm him and what he's doing, but those are two separate situations. It does highlight though your overall uh, struggle to become more affirming. It, it does highlight the difficulties that you face, I think. Is there some particular, pivoting to uh, Wesleyanism, is there particularly Wesleyan ideas or ways of interpreting scripture that open up towards a more affirming stance? Yes. That was easy. Oh, no. <laughs> Would you like to yeah. elaborate for us, please? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, just about every Christian is going to want to say, we want to stand with the Bible and we take the Bible seriously. It tells us truths about who God is and how we ought to live. More fundamentalist folks are going to say, tells us the truth about everything we need to know about science. That's not been the position of the Church of Nazarene, fortunately, but we still have a pretty conservative approach to Scripture, and, um, you know, we have a phrase in our manual that says we think the Scriptures are inerrant, at least according to those things necessary for salvation. So there's a sort of salvific inerrancy uh, claim. The genius of the Wesleyan interpretive stance is that we acknowledge the reality of our lived experience, that every single person comes to the text given their particular context, their life experiences, their biology, their gender, their part of the world they live in, etc. And that shapes how we see Scripture. In addition, we think our experiences in life, informed by the Holy Spirit, can tell us truths about reality that may or may not be in Scripture. In fact, we think our experience can tell us truths that sometimes contradict what we find in Scripture, which is why the holiness tradition has a beautiful uh, heritage of having women as in ministry, of thinking that women can occupy the very highest positions in the denomination. Now, it hasn't always worked out that way. We need to do better, but at least in theory, that's at the heart of our tradition. So that means that when we come to questions of queer issues and queer people and queer experience, we have to listen carefully to everything that's going on. And if we see instances in which it seems like queer people are flourishing in relationships, then we have to be open to the possibility that the Holy Spirit is working in a powerful way and they are really living the salvific life or the salvation that God has for us. So that Wesleyan understanding of the power and influence of experience to not only help us read scripture, but also to become an actual source for theological reflection is an important Wesleyan uh, addition to trying to make sense of the world. On that, so yeah, as you know, sibling or cousin denominations in the Salvation Army, we also place quite an emphasis on the Wesleyan quadrilateral. But now what we're starting to see from some of the more conservative voices, particularly around this exact issue, is that they're they're moving away from the Wesleyan quadrilateral and almost trying to rubbish it, you know, as if it's it's not, you know, really the approach we should take and, you know, Wesley was wrong on this and, you know, it's, it's just about the Bible and nothing but the Bible. Are you seeing that start to come to the surface as it's used as a way to approach this, this particular topic? Yeah, I think it's, it, you don't see it amongst scholars. You yeah. see it again amongst pastors and people in the pews. Uh, the majority of scholars understand that scripture, in, uh, sc the work of interpreting scripture involves a great deal of nuance, that there are a diversity of legitimate interpretations. And so, you know, the majority of scholars in the Church of Nazarene are at least open to being LGBTQ affirming, if not actually affirming. They're at least open to it. The problem is that uh, many people who are not trained in Scripture think that there's only one way to interpret any particular passage. 
I've been getting this like <laughs> just hammered by this on social media. People see the book title and they say, well, haven't they read the Bible? As if, you know, <laughs> none of us ever thought about looking in the Bible. On these Wait, things. but have you? In <laughs> <laughs> uh, fact, just yesterday, I responded to a woman who's a pastor's wife who said, it's right there in Romans chapter one, a women are lying with the women and men with men, and that's unnatural. And it's clear as day. I mean, that's, that's the line I hear the most. The Bible yeah. clearly says, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I get what these people are doing. They're reading scripture from a particular lens. They don't know it's a particular lens and they don't realize that really smart people have had come to very different conclusions on these passages. So part of the work, I think, uh, in helping people to wrestle with the what we oftentimes call the clobber passages of Scripture is to realize that really super smart people have already done a lot of work on these things and come to very different conclusions. It doesn't mean they're right, but it means that Scripture is polyphonic. It has many different voices. And part of the work of interpretation is listening to those voices, especially the voices who have been studying the scriptures for a long time. Yeah. I'm starting to preach here. So I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Carry on. I always feel on that, and we hear this a bit, you know, there's different views uh, and, and yeah, a, a lot of very smart people are coming to, to different conclusions. But for me, uh, and I think this comes through in some of the personal stories in, in the book, we've got to err on the side of love then. If there's two different approaches, what's the more loving approach? What are the fruits of each approach? And we've got decades and decades and decades of experience now of what the fruit of the approach of, of suppression and repression is. And now, thanks to some societal change, we're starting to see the fruits of a more open, inclusive response. So even to just pull away for a second from this theological argument, if you look at what are the fruits of the two outcomes, it seems to me to be super simple. I agree with you 100%, but let me respond to you like a person who doesn't agree with you, like the people who hear me say the exact argument you gave yep. and then respond to me. The first thing they do is they think that the word love means anything goes. They yep. think love means extreme relativism. Love means no guidelines, no restrictions. You know, that's their view of love. It's not a biblical view of love. <laughs> I don't think the, I can't think of any passage of scripture that would justify that approach. But that's how, when they hear the word love, that's what they think. Now, you and I, at least given what you just said, I'm guessing you would agree with this. We think of love in terms of what promotes well being, what promotes yep. flourishing, what gives, as Jesus said, the abundant life or the blessedness or shalom. Yep. And we look at queer relationships, at least some of them, they're obviously none of them are, there are no perfect ones and there's good and bad relationships, both hetero and homosexual, et cetera. But we look at some of those relationships and we say, hey, that's flourishing right there. Those people are living the good life and we can't argue with that. And that's the love argument, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, um, talking about, you know, seeing the fruits of each side, um, you know, despite the, the, the scholarly interpretations in the book, which I think are very important, um, Tom can, I'm sure, give some numbers on this, but the vast majority of people who are convinced to become affirming um, do so not because of sort of intellectual, scholarly, th theological arguments, but because they know a queer person personally. That is what changes people, real experience, real relationships. And I think that's a big part of the book is seeing, you know, hearing these firsthand accounts of the trauma and the abuse and the real fruits of, of this, this bigotry and seeing, having your heart hurt for those people and thinking that's not a Christian. Alexa, something you've probably heard many times, as I certainly have, and I think those of us who are queer are burdened with this, uh, this gigantic weight, the yoke of the split that we are going to cause a split in the worldwide church. As you're putting this piece together and as you're collating the stories and now even promoting it, do you get a sense that this kind of dis discussion could lead to 
a split in your denomination or should it lead to or or yeah where, where do you find yourself on that aware again i'm sorry that you you've probably been yoked with this conversation and questioned many many times yeah you know i i unfortunately am probably slightly more pessimistic on that side <laughs> um i don't know let me put it this way. I'm hopeful that the Church of the Nazarene will become fully affor- affirming within my lifetime. Yep. And I've got a long life ahead of me, let's hope. Yeah. I I think that we are at the beginning of a movement. I don't necessarily have hope that, you know, we're part of the um, publication of this book was to sort of get conversations going in ahead of in advance of our denominations um, four year general assembly. Um, in which there are some uh, articles being proposed on this very topic. I do not think that we're going to write this fully affirming statement and we're going to change everything, or even that there's going to be enough of a split that we're, you know, go the way of the Methodist church and have a real schism. I don't think that's happening this in, in the next, yeah. you know, five years. But um, as far as if that does happen, honestly, I think... Uh, uh, you know, sometimes we got to burn out the the rotting flesh and make way for something new. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so t- can I just have a, a follow-up to that? Um, Tom, you're an ally uh, like me uh, in a movement that is wrestling with these questions. You faced far more criticism and, and struggle. What would you say to an ally in a space like this? Um, would you say stay and fight the fight or would you say actually uh just leave uh form another faith community with your queer friends and do that what what, i don't yeah in my way of thinking there's no one size fits all it all depends on the person the situation the personality their age all that sort of stuff Um, and i advise people based on all those different kinds of factors if I was to make a general statement, um, I would say that if I was in my 20s, I would likely move to another denomination, uh, unless I really thought that I could have a voice in this denomination. Um, if I was an ally in my 20s, I might decide, I'm not sure, but I might decide this is just not a fight that's going to be worth my energy. Now, I'm in my mid-50s, and it would be a lot easier for me if I walked away from this conversation and went to some other denomination. But I think about what I might do to help those who are younger. I think about the platform I have, the influence I have, and I have a lot of friendships with this group. So even if I were to walk away, I'd you know, those friendships may fade some, but they're still kind of a part of my identity. And so I think I have some personal reasons to stay as well. Yeah. But the truth is the Church of Nazarene has been splitting for 30 plus years. We're not a Methodist movement that has a big major split, at least not yet. But we've been splitting because our younger people are walking away. And those people who come to Alexa and me and say, oh, you're, you're tearing apart the church. You're going to split it. We don't, we're going to do to us that's happened to the Methodists. I say, you're already doing this based on the views you have and the way young people are walking away from this denomination. And so we're not to blame here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, that is, that is powerful. I honor, honor you for the, for the way in which you've picked up this uh, book, this campaign uh, and using your platform in this way. Not that I think if you had a whole lot of choice around it, I get it. Um, you, you, you do these things because it's out of who you are. And I just, I think there's a real strength there that I honor. Um, that's great. Thank you. No, thanks. I need to give a little bit of credit to my wife because um, eight years ago, I was run out of a, the institution where I was a theologian. Uh, for very bad reasons, and the president lost his job over it because he was trying to get rid of me and all that sort of stuff. And it put my family, my daughter Alexa, 
my other daughters and my wife through a lot of difficulty. And so when this new scenario came up, um, I wanted to make sure that my wife was going to be on board with the stand I would take, not knowing, of course, everything that would happen, but um, I want to make sure I give her credit for the strength and support she's given me. Wow. Powerful. Thanks. Um, Alexa, you, you mentioned before you've left, you left the church uh, some time ago. I'm interested in, as, as we talk about, you know, is there a split or do we keep the way and what's coming up at the next general assemblies? Is there a middle way that you would have liked to see that would have kept you in the church or that would, would even encourage you to participate again, whether, whether you or maybe perhaps speaking for some of the other young people in your sphere? We, we have in, in Salvation Army also this great exodus of young people. What, what is the, the middle way that would be acceptable to you in terms of uh, connection or participation in the life of the church? That's an interesting question. Um, I think in part because I didn't leave the church over this issue in particular. Um, and honestly, I, my queer identity doesn't really feel that tied up with the church. I didn't feel like I was, you know, had some great story of the church rejected me. And, you know, that's just not my experience. Um, it just felt very separate to me. Um, but I mean, part of my experience was a real silence growing up. You know, we did not talk about queer issues. We didn't even acknowledge that it existed. It was less of a sort of what you imagine, like a fundamentalist beating down of like the gays are going to hell and more of just we don't talk about it because it's bad. Um, and so while for myself, you know, I don't think this would like necessarily bring me back, but thinking about my peers and my friends in the church that I, I grew up with that I'm not that close to anymore. I mean, this is their first, I guess I, this is me coming out to them strangely <laughs> in a way I didn't expect to. So I guess in some ways the middle way is just having the conversation, saying the words, you know, and I think that for young people, it's something that we kind of tiptoe around because we know that it's forbidden, but also it's such a cultural issue. Um, so I would be thrilled, honestly, if this book, uh, you know, created a conversation for, you know, my high school small group for us to talk about this openly. I don't know that that would ever happen, but that would really excite me. And I think we would really run the gamut and sort of uh, our perspectives on the issue, but yeah, I think that is the best middle way I can think of. Yeah, it seems like, you know, and I, what would be ideal, I think, for both denominations is is maybe even just some interpretive freedom. Yeah, you know, An yeah, opportunity locally and, and individually to have some freedom to think and explore and, and live out differently till we get there. Yeah. So on the board, we're going to wrap up in a second. This has been incredible. We could keep talking. We've got the Fast Five coming right up, but I hold this incredibly weighty book uh, and... I'm wondering, as many people do from different denominations, uh, and Phil and I have had this conversation, whether it might be that there is uh, scope for us to create something similar for our denomination for the Salvation Army and kind of in two minds because you've captured so much so well and the theology sort of matches and, uh, as Phil said, there's lots of similarities. Would you have any advice for people looking at whether, okay, let's just be honest. Do you have any advice for us uh, about whether you think, you know, something like this for <laughs> our denomination would be something worth venturing into? I have a strong opinion on this. Let's hear it. My, my strong opinion is that you should do your own version of this book because having people write their own story is so powerful. It's powerful for them as an act of self-reflection. It's powerful for their friends and family members. It, it just is so liberating for so many people. And for folks who aren't queer and are writing, let's say the scholars and leaders, they have to articulate in as best they can, as clearly as they can, their reasons for the views they have. And that's exercise in and of itself, I think is worth the process. Right. Okay. Thanks. Chris, now we have to write a book. Yeah. Watch this oh, space. <laughs> we have a feature of every episode of Included the Podcast, which is called the Fast Five, five rapid fire questions to get your thoughts on uh, issues around gender and sexuality to diverse people. 
we're going to kick off. We'll go, I'll ask each question and then we might go Alexa and then Tom for each, if that's okay. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll wait for you to identify who's supposed to talk first. <laughs> are, you, are you ready? Are you braced in? Are you strapped in? Awesome. Let's, Let's go. Do this, it. this is the Fast Five. Alexa, in regard to people who are gender or sexuality diverse, where do you find hope in the Bible? Uh, you know, if we're answering fast, I don't know. I think that that I don't look to the Bible for that kind of hope. Honestly, I think the Bible is a tool for some folks and uh, I don't <laughs> I don't got anything for you. <laughs> Tom? Love. Great. That's certainly fast. <laughs> Alexa, where do you see hope in the church? if at all. I think that in in the small individual relationships is where I really see that hope. Like in, in, in the, the relationships we've seen in the Facebook group have been really, really hopeful for me. For me, the statistics show that the young people think more like Alexa than I, and I, than the current stance. Yep. Alexa, what does being a good ally mean to you? I think that being a good ally, and this is something that is really inspired by the thoughts of James Baldwin, is about taking, putting yourself in the uncomfortable position because queer people are already in that position. The mar marginalized are already in that space. And as an ally, it's great to you know be shouting from the sidelines, but that's no risk to you. You need to risk your own well-being and put yourself right there in the line of fire. I'm gonna echo Alexa and put it this way allies stand next to queer people when stones are being thrown. You know, taking yourself out of your own denomination for a second, uh, if you had one message for the Salvation Army, what would it be? I think you are already queer. I think there's often a perception that uh, queer people, we're talking about oh, them over there, but in fact, you know, you, I guarantee you, you know, people of the Salvation Army, you know way more, more queer people than you think. You're already queer. In America, the turning point for queer acceptance was when queer people organized and telling themselves, we have to be out in the public and shaking hands with our neighbors. I would say to the Salvation Army, if you're queer in the Army, um, you can make real progress if you show people that queer people are just normal. One last question, which kind of picks up on what you mentioned, Tom, but Alexa, if you had one message for people who are gender or sexuality diverse, what would it be? I think that solidarity and community is, is your greatest hope and that uh, take care of yourself. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard out there. <laughs> The moral arc of the universe bends toward justice, but it's long. <laughs> it's long, but it bends toward justice. <laughs> That's a great point. Thank you both very much. This has been an incredibly fascinating and inspiring conversation as the book is fascinating and moving and challenging. Uh, I'm in no doubt that this uh, incredible body of work that you've both committed to will contribute in some significant way to that arc of justice and its bend. So thank mm. you both very much for all you've done and indeed for taking the time to share with us here on Included the Podcast. Well, that was a long conversation. Uh, so much there. It probably could have gone on much longer. How do you feel at the end, Phil, um, as we've had this this great dialogue with uh, Alexa and Tom. I uh, well, I, I did warn you that I had a lot of questions and I wanted him to go into a lot of different <laughs> yeah. areas. Um, mate, that was fantastic. Um, it was wonderful to hear such a prominent voice in the Church of the Nazarene stand up so clearly for what is right uh, in the face of opposition and the face of discrimination and so on. I'm, I'm a little bit lost. Um, yep. I can't wait um, for other people to be able to hear him. 
There was a lot there, though. It was a great conversation. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for stepping out from um, from behind the uh, mixing desk and to get behind the microphone and join <laughs> us for Thank this. You. Perhaps there'll be some more. If you have any questions or thoughts or concerns or you just want to reach out either to, to chat with someone because this conversation has raised things for you or maybe you want to get in touch because, like Phil and I, you think there's scope to create a, a version of this book, why the Salvation Army should be fully LGBTQ plus affirming. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I don't know about you, Phil, but I'm, I'm ready to start figuring out how to put something together. So get in touch. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at team at includedpage.com. You can, of course, just contact us through the contact button on our website, includedpage.com. Check us out on Facebook at Included Page. For more resources or a safe community to work through some of these questions and find others who are on the similar page, there's, of course, the Selvos for a more inclusive church Facebook page as well. It's been awesome chat. Thanks so much again, Phil. Uh, we will no doubt chat again. Uh, and until next time, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with all we're doing at the Included Team.